Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Carl Mundorf. Carl is the Executive Director of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Oregon State University and the co-director of the OSU Advantage Accelerator. Carl joined OSU in September 2015 as the Senior Program Manager. Prior to his time at OSU, Carl was the Director of Research Programs for Oregon Best, a state signature research center focused on advancing the clean tech sector, where he worked with university and national lab researchers to advance technology to market. Prior to his time at Oregon Best, Carl was the president and CEO of Bioreaction Industries, which developed an air pollution control technology utilizing microbes to digest industrial process exhaust. This natural system created a 90% reduction in energy intensity and reduced customers' carbon footprint by 85%. Growing the company from prototype to commercialization created significant IP, sales, and licensing agreements across three continents, along with the development of customer engagements with Fortune 500 companies such as Toyota, Warehouser, and 3M. Carl also advises various startups across a broad swath of industries. Carl also designed and taught innovation, strategy, and entrepreneurship in two different university MBA programs. And with that very impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Carl. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, thanks again for taking part in the podcast. And Carl, I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into tech transfer, and how you ended up at Corvallis at OSU? Sure. So I have, uh, I've been an entrepreneur most of my professional career and uh, had some successes and had some misses. And uh, at one point uh, in that process, I just felt there had to be more information to improve the odds of being successful. And so I looked at higher ed. And of course there were programs, uh, I ended up going back and getting my MBA with an entrepreneurship focus. And at the same time, I started working after selling the last company that I was the CEO of. Uh, joining an economic development group that was focused on clean technologies. And with that, I first thought that I was going to go find my next clean tech gig. But as I started working more and more with these companies and seeing that they were facing the same issues that I was as a CEO of startups, not having a clear understanding of a process to hopefully improve my odds of success because One, I would be focused actually on uh, customers' problems rather than having a solution that I'm trying to force fit. And um, I felt like I could have a higher and better use of my time and energy by helping more startups be more effective in that clean tech space, which would have a larger impact on the country and the globe. So 
that led to my work with Oregon Best, which is that clean tech accelerator. Uh, my position as director of research programs had me interacting with our public university system in uh, the state of Oregon, as well as some regional national labs. And uh, I am an OSU alum for my undergrad. And so I was going back to Corvallis from Portland quite often in you know, investment terms. Most of my field flow was coming from Oregon State. Uh, they had recently opened an accelerator. And a collision of situations occurred that they offered me the opportunity to join the accelerator as a co-director. And uh, I took that opportunity, which has gone from then being focused strictly on clean tech to this wide array of technologies and companies that are focused really mostly on deep tech that are working on solutions for significant societal problems. And again, you know, where could my higher and best use be made? And I felt like uh, Oregon State is the place to be able to do that. Now, Carl, I know OSU has a program called OSU Advantage. Can you tell us what that is and what it does? Sure. So the advantage is, what is the advantage of working with OSU? And so, you know, it started off basically as tech transfer and it has morphed into much more than that. So if you are a company looking for new research that has commercial potential, you would use the advantage office to find those folks. If you are looking to license IP or intellectual property from the university, you would contact our group. If you were industry looking to do sponsored research or um, some sort of contracting uh, in that realm, you would use our office. And then also uh, another significant portion is our, the accelerator, which now I direct. And uh, the accelerator, we offer entrepreneurial training programs that run basically the gamut from you've got an idea and you try to figure out what to do with that to yeah, I've kind of vetted that idea now, and I think there's something there, and I'm trying to figure out really what is the market potential. And then the last portion is just linking these. Um, by this time, they're pretty well nascent companies and linking them to the resources to be able to launch themselves into the marketplace. Now, as you just mentioned, Carl, you're the co-director of the Accelerator there at OSU. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with the Accelerator, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. So at the Accelerator, uh, we have a number of ways for people to engage with us. And I mentioned those uh, briefly in that last piece, but uh, let me step back a minute and, and talk a little bit about who we serve in the Accelerator. And so we're focused on faculty, students, staff, and the broader OSU community. So basically, it's, it's all comers. Um, couple of caveats. One, we're really focused on deep tech. So again, Things that don't have traditional uh, outlets for getting to a market like a, a mobile app might have that needs these ideas need more time and attention because they are deep tech. It takes longer to develop both the technology as well as the market opportunity. And uh, we are open to the community as well, which is something that I think is pretty important because, you know, if you're trying to affect uh, society, not all good ideas come from university. They come from all places, from all people, and we want to be open to the opportunity. Uh, Oregon State is a land-grant university, among other grant universities, 
And part of that land grant mission, of course, is to affect the economy of our state. And we'd like to say, you know, we do try to affect the economy of the state and beyond because uh, some of our technologies, uh, I'll give you an example, new scale energy, which is a nuclear a small modular reactor, which is a whole new class of nuclear reactors, uh, has the, the opportunity to truly transform electrical generation in, in the world. So uh, that's who we serve, and then we do that through these programs. The first one's called Iterate. It's a four-session program that um, helps people figure out if problem-solution fit. Is this really the problem I should be solving? And, and is my solution the right solution or does it need to morph and change accordingly? Accelerate is a nine-week program. We work on product market fit. So we're using the business model canvas and we focus those nine weeks on the right-hand side of the business model canvas, really trying to gear people up to using the whole campus as the next stage, the launch stage. And that might coincide. Uh, we are a National Science Foundation Innovation Core site program. And we feed into a national program that's available to faculty and students. And uh, so we're kind of a stepping stone in the launch of those uh, concepts and companies into that the NSF I-Corps national program. So, Carl, can you tell us what some of the outcomes are as a result of the Iterate program? Sure. So with Iterate, you know, basically people are just coming to us with a basic idea. And what we help them with then is give them an understanding of what entrepreneurship truly is and what it means to be an entrepreneur. Uh, we give them a basic understanding of the business model canvas. We help them understand the customer discovery process, which is critical. We help them learn how to size a market. So being able to figure out what your total available market is, the serviceable available market, and then, of course, the focus of the target market. Uh, we help them craft and develop a value proposition. Um, usually these become much more refined and easy for them to uh, deliver so that they can uh, aid in their customer discovery with that. And so teams that have found that problem solution fit through Iterate really leave those four sessions ready to move forward with their idea. So, Carl, can you tell us a little bit more about the Accelerate and the launch programs, uh, specifically things like how long those programs are and other details? Sure. So, as I mentioned, uh, Accelerate's a nine-week program that focuses on product market fit. But what does that really mean? So, what we're trying to do is get people to get a value proposition that resonates with the customer segment and ensure that they understand how to gain, keep, and grow customers. How are they going to reach those customers? What are their uh, channels to that market, both informational channels as well as product or service delivery channels, as well as then the revenue side of the world and how are they going to generate revenue? So um, all of this though coincides with that product market fit to help those teams understand what that customer needs as a minimal viable product. And we are we really focus on these nascent companies uh, developing traction with customers. And we don't want them spending resources of time, money, and energy on developing something that the market doesn't want or something that is too developed. It's going to be too costly. So the focus is how do we get to a minimal viable product that a good customer is willing to part with their hard-earned cash and, and give you some traction so you can start moving your business forward. 
when it comes to launch, launch is a highly immersive program. Um, it's very high touch. It's about five months. And we really just focus on the operational side of the business. So, you know, we focused nine weeks on the right-hand side of the canvas. Now we're going to move over to the left-hand side and figure out what is it truly going to take for this company to be able to launch in the marketplace. So we'll meet weekly with these teams and uh, focuses on execution. And each team typically is at a different place in its execution. So it's, it's highly customizable. And, uh, at this stage, we really help clients um, get ready to launch and then do launch into the marketplace. So, Carl, can you tell us a little bit about how the Accelerator office is structured? Sure. So, um, we are a staff of four. And uh, my co-director and I, we um, guide the whole program. We help deliver the programming, um, just you know, involved in the day-to-day aspects of running the organization. Uh, we also have a impact catalyst and that person is walking the halls with us, uh, working with researchers, trying to identify those areas of research that have potential commercial applicability and an interest from that um, researcher to moving into a commercial direction. And we always talk, when we talk with them, we talk about the fact that um, you know, we're not trying to make researchers into business people, but if that is the path that they want to go down, we have the ability to help them get there. They may be only interested in improving their research to a point where it's more easily licensable by outside industry. Or maybe they're a life science researcher who knows that they, for their uh, new product or therapeutic or device or whatever it might be, to get accepted by a large pharma who can really do the clinical trials that need to be necessary for um, acceptance by FDA, et cetera, uh, that they need to create a temporary organization to do the initial research and market development to basically de-risk both of those and and become more attractive to to acquisition by a large pharma. So those are kind of the three exits that uh, a researcher can have if they're interested in a commercial outcome. And... uh, Beyond our, our, we also have a full-time admin who helps us with just with a plethora of the stuff. Our office wouldn't be able to run well without her uh, ability to keep us organized. Um, we offer our clients uh, the opportunity to work with an intern group that we call from mostly our honors college. Uh, but we have MBA students who are interns. We have uh, undergraduates who are not in honors colleges interns. We have interns that are come from CLA or College of Liberal Arts to the hard sciences and everything in between. And um, they can help our clients do some basic market overview research, competitive analyses, maybe design a Kickstarter campaign, that sort of thing. Uh, but just adding basic staff to these nascent companies. For the interns, they get a great experiential opportunity. We've had a number of them leverage that into uh, jobs with um, private equity firms, venture capital firms, even companies like SpaceX. Um, We also have a group of mentors, and this is a group that is always in change because mentors have time at certain times in their uh, lives and at other times they're more involved in some of their other activities and aren't able to give as much time as they they could in the past. 
So, but this group is large enough and diverse enough that typically we have somebody who's able to speak to any of our teams uh, and make connections and provide uh, connections to resources to help that team move forward. And then lastly, we have a board of advisors and these come from current entrepreneurs, ex-entrepreneurs, investors, professional service providers, people at OSU um, who are engaged in IE as well. And they just are a great sounding board for, uh, we've morphed and changed our program significantly over the past five years. And uh, being able to have that group to bounce these ideas off of has has been invaluable. and I want to just be sure that we touch base on the, this group of assets and our efforts around DEI when we get to a little further in the in our conversation. Great. And as you mentioned, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but before getting to that, Carl, I know you also hold another event that's called The Next Great Startup. Can you tell us what this event is and when it's held? Sure. So the next great startup was actually created by my co-director, Mark Lieberman. And uh, it's based a little bit off the voice and it's open to students. And now students can have their own ideas or they could actually use a researcher's idea. But uh, the team that it needs to be led by students and they could be undergraduate or graduate students, doesn't matter to us. Um, typically in the fall, these teams are competing at their own college level. And uh, they're coming up with a pitch for the best business idea that they can come up with. And again, it runs the gamut. Being a land-grant university, we have, uh, it might be biotech, it might be life sciences, it might be uh, chemistry or chemical, biological engineering, um, robotics, AI, you name it. You know, the students come up with just tremendous ideas. And so they have a little competition at their college level. The winners of that get an automatic bid into the round of 16. Uh, this all happens in the fall. So five or six colleges typically do that. We then have an open casting for the other uh, slots in the, in the competition. That typically happens in January. So uh, these, again, these, these young student teams will pitch to us. We get a board uh, made up typically of coaches and the coaches uh, listen to the, the pitch by these companies, these 16 companies. And I mentioned the voice. So like on the voice, if you're interested in, in the company that's pitching and you're thinking you could be a coach for them, you actually turn on a light that indicates your interest. And if your lights on and your neighbor's light goes on suddenly or three coaches lights come on or four coaches lights come on. Now it's a reverse pitch back to the team and the coach has to explain why that team should be working with that coach. So that's kind of a fun aspect of it. And um, so we make those selections. Uh, The teams go off and work with their coaches. They come back in a couple of weeks and make a pitch to a panel of judges. We go from 16 to eight to four to the final four. And then the final four pitch uh, for the the significant amount of resources. Um, I think last year, the winning team ended up with about 15,000 in cash and um, some professional service packages as well in legal and accounting. And um, once you're in the final four, 
you're going to get some resource support to try to further your, your concept. And uh, that's the next great startup. It's a great program. We've partnered with the College of Business on that in the last couple of years. And it looks like we'll probably be handing that off to them uh, starting next fall. Yeah, that sounds like a really fun program. And it sounds like it's been very, very successful there at OSU. So congrats on that. Carl, I know that OSU has a number of funding opportunities available for its startups. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of these? Sure. So we talked a little bit about um, that the accelerator is really focused around deep technologies. And uh, to get these companies, these proto companies, to a point where an angel investor or early stage VC might be interested in, we did a mapping of what it takes to develop the company and the technology to that point. And so there's a large gap there. So we then try to backfill into these funding opportunities to make sure that there is a path forward. And that's one thing when we when we make reviews of each of these companies and what's their next step, we always try to ensure that when they gain funding, it's not a, a, a peer we're, we're building to, but a bridge to the next level of funding or company development or market development, and that there's going to be a path forward. So with that as uh, kind of a preview, we have at the state level a program called the University Innovation Research Matching Fund Program. And so this is uh, for federal grants that are commercial in implication that require a match to as part of the application process or will be viewed higher and better if they are able to bring a match. And uh, so the grant itself has to be for 250000 or more. And then you can apply through um, Oregon State, who then matches us up to uh, our state economic development group called Business Oregon. They make a final selection. And that can be kind of that, that it's, it's basic research that has a commercial opportunity. So an evaluation there has to be done. So that's, that's, let's call that phase one. Um, through the accelerator, we're a National Science Foundation Innovation Course site. And what that means is we also have a little bit of grant money to make available to teams that are in the accelerator. Uh, we can add that to the uh, accelerators, Accelerate Innovation Development Fund. And that's a small fund, about $15,000 that we use that came from our university venture development pool that uh, was a state-created opportunity. And the monies from aid, as we call it, are used to typically develop the technology again. There might be some fundamental question that needs to be answered before there is uh, an understanding of what market opportunity might be available to it. So basic monies for that also can be used for customer discovery, market research, commercialization, plan development, and those types of things. And uh, when you come out of that, with these aid funds, there are a couple of paths that you can move forward with. One of them would be potentially applying to the National Science Foundation National Program, i program. And um, that's a, been a great program. I've been involved in that since 2012. It was in the fourth cohort taking a team through that program. And it really mimics a startup environment in tr tremendously. It's, it's the closest I've seen to a true startup environment that was not actually a startup. 
And so you get a $50,000 award. It's, you have to go through a uh, about a seven-week intense boot camp of entrepreneurship. And you really develop the whole business model canvas. And they're expecting you to deliver on about um, over 100 interviews during that seven-week time frame to truly get to uh, product market fit in a very short period of time. So it's a six-month grant. So, you know, you just spent seven weeks doing this basic understanding of where your target market should be. And then you get to spend the rest of the time using the rest of the funds of the grant to do customer discovery to ensure that you're in the right place, that you are going to be able to develop an MVP and you are going to be able to move forward. Um, so that's one path. There's only, you know, NSF has its own criterion of what uh, companies they accept into that program. We also have this university venture development fund we call the Impact Fund, and it's monies that come through the accelerator as well. We're able to allocate up to $60,000 per project. Um, it can be used to facilitate development and commercialization of research inventions, tools, prototypes, software, digital content, developing intellectual property, and um, it may be used, for instance, in a program. Uh, we recently had a, a uh, medical device technology company who kind of went beyond the resources that Oregon State could bring to bear to what they're working on. They really needed some expertise in life sciences to help them move to the next stage. And we were able to connect them to this biomedical innovation program that is put on by Oregon Health Sciences University, one of our um, other public universities in the state of Oregon. And uh, they used our funds, these university venture development funds, to pay for the fee to be a part of the VIP program at OHSU. And so that's just one example. I mean, what we're really using this UBF money for is, again, what is the next stage in the development of the technology in the company? that uh, these funds could help them do. So from there, um, the state does have, through Business Oregon, if you are interested in SBIR, STTR grant, um, you can apply to the state for a $5,000 award that would help you basically prepare to write your phase one grant. And uh, prepare could be your own, you know, paying somebody in your own firm to do the research to be able to do, develop that application. Or you could even hire an outside grant writer to help you uh, write the most compelling grant. So let's say that uh, you are successful and you get that phase one grant. You can go back to the state and they actually have an SBIR, SDTR matching program. And they'll match up to $50,000 on your phase one and up to $100,000 on your phase two. Uh, these are critical funds for these nascent companies. This, again, just as a reminder, this is all before venture is really going to be interested in investing. So without this ladder of funding steps, uh, we wouldn't be able to get these teams to a point where our professional investment is interested. So when you think about... The next step after that, we do have some early stage venture funds, early stage angel funds who typically you're, you're having these conversations in parallel while you're working on your phase one application. You might have been given an introduction to some of these firms by the accelerator. You know, it's a warm introduction. You're developing a relationship. 
they'll tell you kind of what their expectations are. And, you know, the, the, what we're trying to do is make that soft handoff from SBAR probably phase two into professional investment, or those might actually even coincide and be done together. So um, that's kind of the funding ladder, as we call it, to get them to a point where they can truly, um, one, be in the market, and two, have the financial resources to be able to do what they need to do. So, Carl, I know you also hold an event called Innovation Day. Can you tell us what this is, how it got started, and when you hold this event? Yeah, so Innovation Day is uh, a way to get early engagement from our research base uh, in, in our programs. So these are informational sessions where we review with them kind of what we're doing here, all the resources that are available to them. Should they decide that uh, commercialization of their research is something that they're interested in? And so they apply for this award that comes from self-sustaining funds at Oregon State. And it's uh, basically $5,000 and, um, again, helps them with a problem they're facing with the research to better understand what the commercial opportunities might be. So, um, you know, we've seen a number of young technologies use these funds to uh, perform some additional research that then indicates to them you know, it's a platform technology should be heading in direction uh, one, direction two, direction three. And this additional research helps them figure out what that direction probably should be. Now, Carl, could you share with us some of the metrics about how the accelerator has been performing? Sure. So we've been around since 2014. In that time frame, we've helped form 70 plus different companies, um, many, many more concepts than that have come through the accelerator. Those 70 plus companies have created over 340 jobs now. Um, as you might expect, we're seeing revenues now increase as, as these companies, some of these companies are starting to actually get older. You know, they might be five years old now. And uh, so they've generated about 19 and a half million in revenue. And we've seen follow-on uh, grants, debt and equity investments of another almost $60 million. So the model seems to be working of what we intended. And, uh, you know, I think anybody who's in this accelerator-type, incubator-type role uh, will understand that it's, you know, it's a five-year window before those early uh, startups actually finally really start being able to perform and demonstrate to most of your state stakeholders, um, why you've made this investment. Now, can you give us some examples of some successful startups or technologies that have come out of the accelerator? Sure. So we've got a number of them. So if any of you use Flonase out there or anything that's an oral inhalant for allergies, then you are using a product manufactured by a company called Valiscore, which creates the active ingredient for those drugs to actually work. And the worldwide supply of that chemical is being manufactured in Corvallis, Oregon. Um, another company is Agility Robotics, and they have created the first robot to mimic human gait. Uh, their mission is to develop a robot for last mile package delivery. They've partnered with Ford in the development of an autonomous vehicle, autonomous delivery person uh, system. Um, Raised a bunch of money, 
they're a very exciting company. We have another researcher who has now retired and has joined his startup full time called Emission. Emission, um, the researcher was focused on actually curing ALS. And he said, well, I need to see proteins through a mass spec in 3D, and which was not a current capability of mass spectrometry. And uh, he said, okay, well, I guess I have to create the solution. So he has developed a, a, a piece of technology that can be put into mass specs either at the OEM level or on a retrofit basis to allow researchers to see proteins in 3D. And it's become its own company now. It's uh, being very successful in the marketplace. And at some point, probably in the fairly near future, it will be able to be autonomous and Joe will step back and go back and start focusing again on curing ALS. And then the last one I want to uh, suggest is uh, one of our community companies. And so these uh, community members were working on a new technology to aid with suturing large wounds on people, maybe a head wound from uh, removing a melanoma or uh, something on the leg or anything, any, any kind of open wound. So uh, the company is called SutureGuard, and they developed this technology that not only made it easier for those wounds to be closed in a much shorter period of time, but that the skin healed faster and better and quicker than traditional methodologies. And uh, they used OSU in some of their uh, tests to how the product worked, as well as some uh, early stage clinical trials. And uh, they also went through our accelerator program. They've given back by helping be mentors and engaging with us uh, on an ongoing basis. And uh, you know, just a, just a great example of a community-based team that was able to partner with OSU and its resources and be successful in the marketplace. Well, Carl, with great success also comes challenges. And so what would you say are your office's two biggest challenges? Yeah, there's probably two, uh, two significant ones. That One is just continued engagement um, or additional engagement by our faculty, um, research staff, postdocs, those who can really drive technology forward. And two is not only better engagement or more engagement with that group, but also with um, more diverse populations of those groups at our university. Carl, I wanted to switch gears and ask you about a question you alluded to before, and that's equity, diversity, and inclusion. Specifically, I wanted to ask you and talk about closing the gender and diversity gaps with respect to startup founders. Can you tell us what you and your team are doing to help close this gap? Sure. So this is really important to the accelerator and to Oregon State in general. Uh, and so we've been involved with the National Science Foundation on uh, its efforts to be more inclusive and have better diversity amongst its, its teams who join the i And so um, that's helped us uh, work with our National Science Foundation Advanced Group to review our materials that we attract, hopefully attract uh, a wider array and uh, diverse faculty and students. And so we have gone through all our materials to ensure that our that the verbiage we're using is open and inviting. 
um, that the imagery we're using is the same, that the site itself is uh, open and welcoming to all people of all abilities. So that's just a, a, you know, that's kind of square one where you have to get started. Two, we know that if one measure of uh, being able to gain additional diversity and provide equity to diverse populations is to ensure that um, people see themselves among the staff, among the interns, among the mentors, and amongst our advisory group. So we've been very diligent in the last five years to um, attract and retain a diverse group in each of those four categories so that any of our clients who interact with us hopefully can see somebody who represents them in that community. So um, with faculty, we do specific outreach uh, through different groups uh, on campus to be able to speak one-on-one -on -one with groups of diverse faculty members and explain to them what these programs are, why they could be important to them, uh, how they could get engaged to them. So it's, it's, this direct outreach is really key and critical. Um, there's an old adage about you have to know somebody to like them, to trust them. And the best way to do that is through one-on-one -on -one interaction. You can invite people all you want, but if you're not meeting them where they are, explaining to them why this could be of interest to them, and truly showing that um, you know outreach is more than just an invitation, uh, we won't get the, the um, traction that we're trying to get. So we do that direct outreach. We also, with students, we work with a number of groups on campus to be able to present this information available, uh, the resources available through the accelerator to, say, our seven cultural centers that are on campus. We make presentations to the, our local chapter, the National Society of Black Engineers and the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers and other groups uh, to, again, ensure that they're aware of what these resources are, how they could benefit their careers, and um, do everything we can to engage them and, and get them to join uh, our efforts. What, what we're doing in the way of measurement, and we still have a ways to go on this, is to say, if our population at Oregon State is made up in these groups, what ratio of that, of our uh, clients, does that represent? And so um, we, we've been working on that for the last three years, and we've done a better job in getting more women engaged in our programs. And um, working on uh, diverse populations is definitely um, an effort that we are making strides in, in developing, um, but we're still earlier days in that aspect. Now, Carl, I know you're also involved in something called Promotion and Tenure Innovation and Entrepreneurship Coalition, also known as PTIE, and that PTIE seeks to expand university promotion and tenure guidelines and practices for faculty to more inclusively recognize innovation and entrepreneurship impact. Can you tell us more about PTIE, what its goals are, and what it hopes to accomplish? Sure. So this is a, an interesting thing that actually came through our work at, with the National Science Foundation Innovation Core program 
is um, if you start peeling back the layers of why there's less engagement in these types of programs by faculty, specifically tenure-line faculty, is because they're not rewarded for these activities. So that was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, what is one of the things I wish we could have is that's better engagement with uh, all our faculty in these programs. That's one of the major barriers. So we brought that up with the program officer, program director of the i program and suggested that um, NSF should make a policy statement regarding the importance of this. And um, they said, well, you know, we can't really make that uh, statement until we have some data to base it on. So why don't you guys work on a grant application that would help us well, find, find out what's going on, what's the state of the art, and how can we improve it? And so my colleague, Rich Carter, and I did apply for that grant. Rich is the lead PI on that. We've got a number of other faculty at OSU engaged in this. And what we've done is create a coalition of 68 universities from around the country and other 13 national organizations. And uh, what it's, it's ferreted out is that this is important for INE to be included in promotion and tenure guidelines. And as a group, we were able to create a, uh, a number of recommendations of both language and process changes that should go on at any individual university so that as a tapestry, you know, you may have each university have its own tweaks on this, but overall, arcingly, um, we're all in alignment of how we're going to think about and recognize INE activities and promotion and tenure guidelines. So, um, we're, it's still early days. We're a year plus down the process. We've got, again, it was um, our recommendations were uni, uni, unanimously uh, approved. Uh, we have a working group of about 20 universities. We're all working to implement these changes at their university, and OSU is also doing the same at our university. Um, we have university systems who are in process of making these changes as well. So. You know, one of the biggest challenges was that any individual university trying to make these changes on their own is going to run into difficulties because of it not being recognized the same way by other universities. So if University A promoted a faculty member using INE uh, as part of its promotion tenure uh, guidelines, and they go to uh, the faculty member decides to leave the university and go to another university, that other university may look askance upon what it's what that person's promotion tenure was based on, unless they have something similar to provide guidance of how they might look at that. So all of us doing it together is really, I think, the, the piece that was missing before that should be able to help us make this truly a, a, a nationwide opportunity. Well, Carl, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests if they could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for their office, what would that be? Okay, so the three for us would be, one, we'd really love to have INE recognized by PNT across the country. That would get that would garner so much new engagement in INE activities, which means really more research that's going to solve societal problems. Uh, which, you know, I think should be the focus of all of us. So that's that's one big one. Two, that we would have more diverse engagement with our programs, not only at OSU, but again, across the country, because I firmly believe that entrepreneurship 
is a leveling of the of the playing field so that truly the best ideas that garner uh, opportunity in a market can benefit that person, that researcher, that research team, that university to um, really create impact. So that's two. And the third would just be that um, more people outside the university look to universities as idea engines and problem solvers and sources of solutions to society's problems. Those are three great wishes, and I couldn't agree more. So good luck to you and your team and all the other universities that you're working with and getting those realized. Thank you, Lisa. Well, Carl, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Well, they can reach out to me at my email address, which is carl with a K, dot Mundorf, which is M-U-N-D-O-R, two Fs at OregonState.edu. Great. Well, thanks so much again, Carl. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.